Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer at The Athletic. And I've got the homies back together. Calvin Harris is with us today, three-time national champion, starting center on the 91 national championship team. And Carlos Ledo, uh, longtime Miami Hurricanes fan, former co-host of mine at Onside Radio, and uh, just turned 42 yesterday. Happy birthday, Carlos. Thank you, man. It's good to be it's good to be PJ Brown. I'm looking forward to next year. I know you're turning uh, Grant Long this year yourself. Yes. So- we're we're uh, we're both feeling the the aches and pains of the, the early forties. Grant Long, yeah, he's number forty three. I'll be forty three. I know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he was a good. He was a good dude. He I was. He was. You, he was the poor man's poor man's Horace Grant. Yeah, I think both you guys are lying to yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Calvin, uh, are you wearing your jersey number yet? Are you uh, fifty four? What, what, what's the no? Age? I'm far from my jersey number. You're far from it. I'm thirty six. Thirty six, right? I forgot how we passed you on the uh, on the calendar. I forgot that moment. I mean, look, I, I, my mom had to fake my birth certificate to get me in school early. Um, you know, I guess eventually it catches up with you. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was like three when I first started school, so you know, I'm a little behind the curve. So it's been some time since we've talked about the Canes. Obviously, there's a lot that's happened here. Uh, they had a linebackers coach in Travis Williams for 17 days. He left for UCF. Then a few days later, they hired uh, Ishmael Aristide, a former uh, defensive analyst at Texas A&M and Purdue safety, a guy who's only 30 years old. I wrote a big story on Sunday uh, right after they hired him, um, You know, sort of explaining the whole story about how his dad was the – uh, principal at Miami Northwestern for many years, a former high school coach, and, and how this young guy is really going to, I think, 
you know, re-energize the coaching staff a little bit. He's never been a position coach before, but, you know, he's so good in recruiting, helped Texas A&M land a couple of uh, local guys here the last few years, including Donnell Harris, the uh, defensive end who Miami was, you know, hoping to get. He ended up going to Texas A&M. And then, uh, you know, in in this last cycle, um, uh, a running back, uh, two guys out of Miami Central, um, including a running back that Miami wanted in Amari Daniels. So, I just, uh, it, you know, it's a good good hiring by Manny Diaz. I want to get your thoughts on that first, just because that was sort of the latest big news. Uh, Kelvin, uh, you, you reached out and spoke to some people about him. What's your impression? Uh, he's an up-and-coming coach. Um, hungry. Turned down a job at uh, Lloyd & Tooch to uh, coach, which uh, I, guess, uh, I guess he made the right decision because I guess now he's making – the Lloyd and Tooch, Toys Tooch type money, but uh, he's young, he's uh, energetic, and he'll be surrounded by a lot of veteran coaches. So, you know, he'll be fine. And he's actually, you know, look realistically, he's probably already been coaching because he was at Auburn and A and M. So they're not abiding by any rules. So he's on the field, <laughs> you know, coaching. Uh, now he gets the full time coach. Right. I like the hire. I think, uh, you know, he, he was obviously DB in college. He's been around a couple staffs. They're going to have him, I think, coaching the strikers now, which we call outside linebackers and in, in the coaching staff. But it's really the striker position, which is the hybrid safety linebacker position. Packy's going to coach inside linebackers. So he's going to have a lot of interaction with, with T-Rob and Packy. So he'll have people to help him out there in those spots since those, those uh, units play a lot together. They play on a string. But I think the real big thing is that, you know, Manny lost a big-time recruiter in T-Will, and he came back and got another guy that's got South Florida ties and that can help recruit as well. So it's it's all, it's a, always a positive when you get a guy on staff that can come down here and snatch kids up. The only, the only negative I got to say about this is you uh, – I, I like the hire, and I get what – I see where Manny's going with this with him and DVD. But there probably was a better candidate than him. And he's a really good candidate. If you just look at the if you look at the resume, Brandon Harris probably should have got that striker position. Brandon Harris, who was hired um, to be uh DB yeah, he's a corners coach at FIU, but mm-hmm. what y'all got to understand is he's slot corner a lot in the pros. Matter of fact, I'll tell you a quick story. Brandon tells me, just because he, he was with the Texans and I was living in Houston, I didn't see him that much, but uh, he was telling me one day, this was after he stopped playing, he said, so they're playing the Patriots in the playoffs, and he's the slot corner. So guess what that means? And he's got Wes Welker. So he said they're sitting in the in, in the defensive meeting room watching film. So he turns to the coach. Sorry, coach. Uh, what I got to do? What you need me to do? How are we going to attack this thing? And the coach says, man, I ain't got nothing for you. You're on your own. Good luck. And that's basically what they did. They threw him out there on Wes Welker. On his own, he was Patty LaBelle the whole game. I mean, he did a decent job, but 
I was like, wow, you know, it kind of shook my head because, you know, it should never be that. There, there, there should always be an answer for every guy. But what I'm saying is, you're talking about a guy who played, I think, six years in the league, was a second-round draft pick, played outside corner, played slot corner, which is basically what the striker is. Right. <clears throat> now, get, don't get me wrong. I see, I can see the angle on this guy too because technically the striker usually comes from the safety position, and that's what this guy played at Purdue. I talked to um, one of the guys that coached him at Purdue who uh, was at UM uh, when Al was there. He was uh, Hurley's assistant in the player development uh, area. He's now a running backs coach at East Washington. He says he's a great kid. And then I reached out to one of my friends who lives in Dade County who was a Northwestern Bull and a Bethune-Cookman uh, Cougar or whatever their Wildcat, excuse me. Don't mean to disrespect <laughs> you, BCC people. My bad. Because, you know, you got cat. them wrong colors. You got them wrong colors. But anyway, man, uh, the father, because the father was uh, at BCC when he was uh, a little bit before he was there. Mm-hmm. And he said the guy is, the family is a great family. The father's a great father. The kid's a great kid. Um, and he probably is going to be at UM for a while because, I mean, even though he didn't go to school in Miami, he was, he, you know, his early years were at Miami, you know, right. growing up in Miami. And his dad has a history as a coach at Central um, uh, and, and the principal at Northwestern. So I, I like to hire. But I'm just saying, you know, somebody kind of threw that name at me yesterday and I was like, damn. Because right. If you would have you you preferred, preferred Dade County. You would have preferred a former Kane who's got Dade County roots and so forth. Well, look, I'm not. I'm not just saying we got to have all Canes on the staff. Although I, I mean, there's enough qualified Canes that we could have quite a few. You know, I mean, you look at Duke basketball. Mike Shashevsky only pretty much. I think I can't recall the last time he didn't have a Duke player, former Duke player on the staff. But that's neither here nor there. Football is a little different. In this case, you know, um, the guy he picked, yeah, has got a lot of accolades. But, you know, I don't know if it was a semantics thing, but I'm just saying Brandon would love to be a Kane, and he's got the got the cachet. You know, he's, he has a type of personality that you want as a coach. And I dealt with him last year when he was at Florida State because he was um, he was um, put in charge of one of the kids that came from Fort Myers. And I, I, I was familiar with the kid's principal, and we talked quite a bit about the kid. I gave him a rundown of the kid's family. I mean, you know, I'm look, realistically, every UM player that was great at the UM and great in the pros – is not going to be great as a coach. But there are just certain guys who fit what I think Manny would be looking for. And Brandon Brandon is one of those guys. Right. And Brandon comes from a coaching tree. His father, Ice Harris, obviously, you know, has has been a coach in Dade County for a long time. His brother uh, has been, um, you know, just got promoted to co-offensive coordinator at UCF uh, from from FIU. Um, You know, he comes from a long coaching tree. And, yes. and he's a guy, as you said, had an NFL experience. But 
in the end, he's at FIU right now. And who's to say that down the road, that's not something that happens because look, let's face it. Um, the best programs, Kelvin, their coaches are constantly leaving. They're going on to bigger and better jobs. They're getting promoted from position coaches to, um, you know, coordinators to head coaches. And that's what's going to happen at Miami. And I think with the staff, that's what you're hoping for anyway. And I think this is one of the, the like underlying geniuses of this hire is Manny took a guy that's a young analyst, put him on staff as a coach on the field to hopefully have him long-term develop him as a coach, create those roots long-term. And then if the older guys on staff, like T-Rob ends up leaving or pack here, this guy can then be elevated into different positions within the staff. So he's got himself something that he's invested in this guy's future so he can have a long-term coach and a recruiting asset on the staff for the future and not have another big-name guy that could possibly leave in a year or two. Well, no, I mean, I get why he did it. But what I'm saying is, um, you know, and I don't – like I said, I'm not down in the hire because I like the hire. You know, I, you know, I, I think some people are a little confused as to how an analyst – can get a job at a power five school that's trying to compete for a national championship. And, you know, the trend in coaching is changing. And this guy, even though he wasn't technically on the field, I'll keep saying that he was on the field and the word had gotten out about him and he helped uh, bring three Florida players to Texas A&M. Now, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a recruiting guru because he got them. Because let's just keep it real. The bags helped. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, you know, I mean, well, Kevin, um, one thing I'll say, and you mentioned the trend, I think, you know, both you talk about the hiring of, of two of the position coaches. I mean, DVD played in the NFL, but he's yep. never coached at the at, at the power five level, even the group, even, even the group of five level, you know, or FCS level. He was at what, what is it? ASA College in Miami, right? For a year. That's what he did. Basically, yeah. we got yeah. hired. Him. And, and I think the trend now, I kind of compare it to the minor leagues. Uh, and baseball in the major leagues, like what you're seeing now is you're seeing more guys go from like single A or double A to making the jump uh, right to the big leagues um, when it comes to coaching in the sense that if you can recruit, if you can, if you, if you can communicate with kids, that skill is, is beginning to outweigh, I think years of coaching. So well, like, you don't have to go to South Alabama and coach for five years and then go, you know, to Cincinnati for another five and then, you know, make the jump to, you know, a power five school after that. Like, I think 
I think if you can, if you're young and you're energetic and you can recruit guys like Manny Diaz want to hire you. And I think that's what you're seeing with this hire. Let, let me say this, what I'm about to say, and I don't want, I don't want y'all, I don't want to shock people and oh, think no. I'm crazy. Here we go. Demarcus Van Dyke has more high level experience than Manny Diaz. And you say, what? DeMarcus Van Dyke played five years in the league. And for those of you who have never been in a pro uh, locker room, uh, meeting room, and understand, and I told this to Manny the other day, if you just pay attention, you can go coach. Now, the technical aspects of the game is where guys have to make adjustments because the computers have become so integral in the coaching. You got to learn to work the computer systems. Well, technically, DVD has learned all that because he was in the recruiting department and he had to learn the system. So the whole time he's been at UM, he's been learning the behind the scenes. The on the field stuff was already there. You just right. had to learn the format. Like, you know, when I talk to my friends and coach, like, uh, uh, again, example, Malcolm Pierce made with me at the uh, at UM. His brother, Prince, who in my opinion is one of the most underrated O-line coaches in the country. He's at Bethune-Cookman. We talk all the time. And, you know, when we first start talking, I've known, I've known him for a long time. I've been talking with Prince since he was – I've been talking with Prince since he was at Alabama. He went, he went from TSU, Texas Southern, to Prairie View to Alabama State. And, I, you know, we've always kept in touch. And when I have conversations with him, like when he goes to a new, new situation, I ask him simple shit. Like, well, okay, what, um, what protections? How you doing your protections? You, you zone block? You know, so – he gives me his rundown of what he's doing. And then, like, during COVID, I was on a couple of Zoom calls with him. So I see how he runs a meeting and all that there. Well, realistically, if you're a player, you just, you can't just be thrown right into running a room because there are some behind it. There, there, there's some format. That's just like, Manny, if I was to say, I want your job at the athletic. I can write. I got A's in English. Well, it ain't that simple. There's, you know, you know, you've been doing this a while. There's some, there's some technical aspects to the job that you have to learn. And even Ed Reed, who Ed Reed is a prime example. Ed Reed got one year as an assistant coach where he got a chance to see the coaching format. All right. So now, as the was he chief of staff? Yeah. He actually, I would say, in about another year of doing this job, would be eligible to be a head coach somewhere because he already knows the coaching setup because he was basically a coach his whole career. And then he went and coached for a couple of years because he did a volunteer year somewhere. Right, the Bills and Jets, I think he was with at different times. Yeah, Bills and Jets. So he understands the coaching format. Now, what's happening with him being chief of staff, 
he's learning how a whole program works. So, it, 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 another case in point is Dion. You know, now Dion was different because he was the coach. He was a head coach at a high school, and you say, well, it was high school. But a guy like that just needs to see a format like, okay, how are we running our meetings? All right. What's what's the uh, how are we gonna do the periods? Like you know, are we gonna do ten minutes individual or fifteen minutes? Things that you know you don't think that that as a player you just can't come in. Like if I wanted to be an offensive line coach, I gotta understand. Okay, how are we doing the periods? Okay, what's our pair? I gotta get with. I learn how to work with the offensive coordinator on pass protection and run blocks, stuff like that. But if you paid attention as a player and you played long enough. It's just semantics. Right. Now, DVD has the skill you talk about that will make – and another reason why DVD is easy to transition is he's been around all these players. So he don't have to win them over. They know who he is. He's from the city. He went to the U. His name is on the record board. So he has cachet. He has credibility. And apparently, he has coaching acumen. Right. So it made sense. And the beautiful thing about it is he's got a guy like T-Rob, and honestly, he's got Rob too, that he can go to and ask questions. And last time I talked, like uh, I, I remind him all the time, I said, look, you need to go spend some time with Jess Simpson because you want to be a coordinator. And as a corner, especially playing with the Raiders, all he did was play press coverage. So now you got to learn how gaps work. A gap, B gap, C gap. One gapping or two gapping. That's where you go get with Jess Simpson because the front end and the he's back end run work together. And I think that's that's the yeah, – yeah, he's got to learn the run game. And that's the thing I think that the Aristide kid, if he's smart, him and DVD, they're in football euphoria. They got Ed Reed running around. They can pick his brain. And let me tell you something, the Jess Simpson guy, is damn good. So you well, got been two in the for several years. Yes, and he's he's, he's going back. He's going right. back. I, I, if you get two years out of him, I'd be happy. Well, listen, with with Aristide in particular, you know, coaching outside linebackers, the whole switch to Jonathan Packy. I know there were fans who were kind of like, "Hey, we need to get rid of Packy. He's part of the problem. He was part of that that coaching staff that that brought the defense down." And you you know how the blame game goes, uh, Kelvin. But you know they moved him into inside linebackers, and I know there's still people out there who are like, "Well, why is he there? You know, just have Manny coach it or go out and hire somebody else and blah blah blah." Um, your experience from people you've talked to, they say he's a great teacher. You, you want to reiterate that uh, for our listeners a little bit, stuff you've heard about Coach Packey? Yeah. Um, one of my good friends, James Cheney, coaches, is the head coach at Lehigh High School here, uh, Fort Myers. Actually, one of his kids just got an offer, getting an agents to be plays wide receiver for day two. Well, his son, Jake, was a 21 recruit last year at linebacker. And we showed him some love, but, you know, realistically, they were going, you know, he was down on the, you know, down on the list behind guys like T2 and some other guys. But he went to the Paradise Camp, um, the last one we had. And, right. you know, Cheney tells me, you know, we, we had to talk about Packy because he likes Packy. Packy does come by. Well, first of all, 
everybody's coming by Lehigh because they got the number one running back in the 2023 class in uh, Richard Young. So he sees every coach. But the one thing that he kept saying to me was um, the drills that they did at the uh, the opening, camp. or excuse me, the Paradise Camp mm-hmm. with the linebackers that Packy was using, his son Jake used those in the summer and, you know, during the season. Well, Jake just early enrolled in Wisconsin. And, you know, he thought that Pack, you know, just, and, you know, he was, we were talking about the drills. They were fundamentally sound. So he's a fundamentally sound technical coach. Now, I don't know how he is with X's and O's. From what I understand, he seems to be pretty bright. But, you know, I think that the we need is we need somebody that can stay on these guys' tackle. Now, I'm not saying Blake Baker didn't do that. Look, last year was an anomaly. We had, I think, as fans, as alumni, as whatever, we got comfortable because Shaq and um, Pinkney were like an old, reliable pair of house slippers. They fit. They feel good. They fit well. They're reliable. They won't. They they would. They show up all the time and they perform well. Well, there's going to be a transition when those guys leave. And I know everybody says, well, we didn't recruit the position well. Well, look, this is the new, new age of football. Guys who think they're good don't want to go someplace where they got to actually work. I hate to say it, but that's the reality. There's very few of these kids who are saying, damn, you know, Alabama's found a way to pull it off because those kids realize that if I could just get one year in, I can go first round, you know, because you got examples like Quentin Williams. But there's very few programs that can pull it off. Right. So every kid is going to go play as a true freshman. Well, Shaq and Pinkney were like Iron Men. They weren't leaving. So we had a transition. Bradley Jennings got hurt, and that stunted his growth. But Corey Flagg showed a lot of potential. Uh, Sam Brooks has shown potential. You know, Wayman Steve has some potential. Well, Calvin, I'm I throw just, that line right back at you. You love to say that you and Sap say potential means you ain't done shit. I, I agree. It means you haven't <laughs> done shit. I'll say this, though. Corey Flagg showed some flashes. He didn't play a lot. The, the COVID thing slowed him down. I expect him to be the starting off. I'll tell you what. And you you were talking about Packy and X's and O's and not knowing, uh, you know, how good he is. I mean, he was in line to be the co-DC with Banda. Uh, when Manny left, Mark Rick had given that title. So then when Manny came back after Rick retired, then he, he had to take that special teams coordinator position and take that step down from code DC. He's also assisted Manny with linebackers when he got here initially when Manny was the, the, the uh, DC. So he's worked with linebackers in the past, not just here, but also with Manny at Mississippi mm-hmm. state and Louisiana tech. So really he's more of a, a natural linebackers coach than a strikers coach. And let's not forget, to me, the strikers were the most consistent position on that defense all year long. Yeah, the yes. defensive ends with Jalen Phillips and Roche were explosive, but they weren't as consistent as the strikers. So Frierson and Keontre Smith were really good all year. Guys, I want to transition to a couple of other subjects um, because I want to make sure we, we, we hit on these things. A couple of things um, that happened. Um, one, Jason Blissett, uh, medically retired, a kid who had um, you know, was a four-star recruit out of New York, a, a big-time defensive tackle they were hoping he would become. Unfortunately, had to medically retire because of a, a battle with concussions, um, having five or six, which brings up an interesting topic to me because he, he, he talked about 
he said this to Inside the U. Christopher Stock interviewed him uh, recently uh, after he, he kind of announced his retirement. But that essentially he'd been battling uh, concussions for, you know, since his high school years. And, and this, I think he had three or four in high school and then obviously a couple more here with Miami. And I guess wow. my, my question to you, Kelvin, um, obviously you feel terrible for, for, for Jason. Um, but, you know, the evaluation process of knowing, you know, what a kid's had medical history wise and, 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 you know, being able to take care of them and, and maybe telling a kid tire, you know, in your experience, how often has that happened in football where, uh, you know, coaches have taken taken the stance of, hey, we need to worry about this kid's health, prioritizing it versus, hey, you know, he's too good of a talent. We need him out there on the field. You know, what? how do you think that whole situation was handled? Because obviously he had a history of it, came to Miami. They obviously took him. They had to have known that he had some level of, of, of concussion history. And and then to come here and then, unfortunately, in the North Carolina game, I guess he got hit pretty bad. And and, and after that, it, it's just been kind of a, a rough scenario for him. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, honestly, that doesn't really go into consideration much unless it's like something that's real obvious. You know, mm-hmm. Guys had so many that he's missed time. But um, I just kind of feel bad for the kid. Um Sometimes your frame, you know, he's a defensive lineman, but I think he was a basketball player. So uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, maybe he wasn't, maybe his frame, just his neck area and all that wasn't, um, wasn't proper. It, it wasn't structured to be a D-line, you know. Um, that's a tough one because, you know, I'm sure – well, I know in high school, going to college, I don't think they look at it as much as the uh, pros do. When, when you go into the pros, right, the all of that background checks, right? Oh my God, yeah, everything's taken. Matter of fact, if you got a knee injury going to the combine, they're going to, uh, you might get your knee injured even more because every doctor is going to look at you because every team wants their own independent diagnosis. So, um, but concussions, you know, yeah, this I mean, is a rarity. Kid, you're, you're really relying on the coach and the kid themselves to disclose that to you because you, yeah. I mean, there's only certain things you can ask a kid straight up about their, their medical history if it's not public knowledge. Yeah, because of the HIPAA laws. Right. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and he and the kid talked quite a bit, and it was a great interview by Chris Stock from Inside the U. By the way, Chris is a how'd you let him? How'd you let him beat you to that interview? Well, listen, I reached out to to Jason. It's funny, we both. I, I reached out to Jason on Twitter. Um, you know, I DM'd him or whatever after uh, he made his announcement that he was medically retiring, and he was. You know, I told him I wish you the best. You know, maybe one of these days we can talk. You know, about you know your career at Miami and so forth, and and I guess Chris. No, you know, being the journalist, he is thought the same thing, messaged him. And I guess Jason was was OK, he, you know, to had told him he would talk. Not that I asked Jason to be interviewed, but Chris did. And and in the end, you know, he ended up interviewing and doing a good job with it. Um, so uh, kudos to him for that. But I, I just thought that was kind of an interesting story that was kind of buried in the background a little bit. Um, you know, a second year kid. And, you know, that's part of the attrition that teams have to endure and part of the attrition that's hurt Miami here over the last few years, because, you know, this is a, a concussion related uh, retirement, but obviously you had the neck injuries, right? DeAndre Wilder, Amon mm-hmm. Richards, um, you know, the cornerback uh, from, a, from a couple of years ago who, who was starting for him as well. Um, yeah, Malik Young. Malik Young. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, you talk about how, how injuries affect teams. It feels like Miami the last few years, it's like they've, they've had kids that have had to you know, career ending injuries. And it's just kind of one of those things that, you, you know, hurts your program in the long run because you're trying to develop these guys and get the most out of them. And, and you can't. So um, look, I, I wrote another story uh, actually today for the athletic looking ahead, you know, spring football starts, obviously uh, March 13th, March the, 14th, I think. No, March 13th. Yeah. And March 13th. yeah. And then the, the uh, pro day for Miami is going to be March 29. Uh, Jalen Phillips told me that a couple days ago. And what's, uh, the, what's the date on that? March 29th. So March 29th. That's a, okay. Yeah, March 29th. Yeah. So we got some things to look on the calendar, you know, look forward on the calendar as far as, uh, you know, happenings here in a couple of weeks. But I just wrote a big story sort of breaking down the depth chart and, you know, some some offensive guys. Uh, what, one little bit of news, Adam El Gamal. Um, the offensive lineman, the three star kid that they recruited two years ago. He's not on the Hurricanes roster right now. And uh, my understanding is he's going to opt out of uh, the spring. Um, so I don't know if he's going to come back in the fall, but uh, I guess between COVID and, and, and other issues, he's, he's decided to uh, not participate this uh, spring from what I've been told by somebody on the staff. So that's why he's not on the roster. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, you got 17 he offensive be, linemen. <laughs> he won't be back. Well, you never know. You never know what's going to happen, but uh, you got 17 offensive linemen, 12 receivers, five tight ends, uh, four running backs, and four quarterbacks. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the offensive breakdown in terms of scholarship numbers. I actually did the math. Miami's up to like 87 scholarships on the entire roster when you count 
you know, the guys on the defensive end um, and special teams. So, you know, they're t- certainly taking advantage of that super senior status and that extra year of eligibility. Um, but, you know, as Manny Diaz has said, the, the numbers still aren't right. When, when you, you know, next year going to 22 and so forth, we'll have to see what they do in terms of, um, you know, how close they can get to that 85 number. It's always a juggling act. But in, in terms of the offense and, and sort of some of the needs, um, I, I guess there's a running back out of Tennessee, a guy who had signed with Tennessee, who could potentially be brought in this summer. Um, uh, I'm forgetting the kid's name right now, but Miami's interested in him. He was uh, released from his scholarship um, by Tennessee yeah. in light of everything that happened. Um, what's his name? I'm going to find it here in my notes. Cody Brown. He's a former four-star kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mark Anthony Richards, the younger brother of uh, Amon Richards, was, uh, I guess he signed with UCF where, you know, his former coach at Auburn now is Gus Malzahn. So, um, that would make sense. Uh, honestly, I'm kind of glad that he come because I think it wouldn't waste time to come here. Yeah. Well, I mean. He wouldn't have played. No, and I, and I think that's the, that's the tricky situation Miami's in because when you got four scholarship running backs, you do have enough. You don't really need another guy. But then when you have Jalen Knighton go down and you have somebody else go down with it, now all of a sudden you're at two running backs, and that's a lot more of a precarious uh, position. And and so I think you want to try to get to five. And, I, and, and one thing for our listeners to understand, and I've confirmed this with people in Miami's recruiting department, they can sign guys starting, I think, June 1st basically at the end of the spring semester, the beginning of the summer term, they can start pulling scholarships from the next signing class in 22. And those guys can be eligible to play in the fall. So, you know, you look at the linebacker position, you look at the running back position, that's where I could see them signing somebody. Um, well, here, here's an interesting question. To add for the fall. So, you know, we're probably going to have some people entering the transfer portal after spring, depending on how they perform and seeing where they are in the depth chart. If they feel like they're not going to get any playing time or they're not in a good position, they're going to probably move on. One of the things I'd like to see is what happens with Tyler Van Dyke and Jeff Garcia with Jay Garcia. I'm sorry. If they Mm -hmm. aren't ready, if they prove they aren't ready to start game one during that spring practice, and they're scared about what's going to happen with De'Ari King, if he's not going to be ready for Alabama, what do they do? Do they try and convince Nicosi to get out of the portal and come back for another year by saying, listen, you can put on tape against Alabama game one. This will not only help you if you decide to transfer after this coming season, but in your long-term future plans, if, you're, if your goal is to play in the league and you put up good tape against Alabama, you're going to have that forever. You could have that as a chip. Or if Nikovsky moves on, do they try and find a stopgap quarterback no. a veteran for one year? No, Nicole, uh, first of all, Derek will be ready. He's going to be ready by July. But is he going to be Derek in July? Yes. Okay. Yes. He'll be he'll be Derek in September. That's all that counts. Okay. Um, we're running out of time here on the uh, Zoom call, so we may have to stop and uh, and you know send invites again and that whole thing, so we can keep this thing going. But um, getting into the story that I wrote today a little bit uh, briefly, one thing I talked about with you guys the last time you were on the podcast was. You know, can Miami make the leap up, you know, in terms of where they need to be offensive and defensively to be a legitimate title contender? And so I went back yes. and, I, and I did the research in terms of, well, what are the teams that are making the college football playoff um, these last few years? What are they averaging offensively? 
and this, these are some numbers, okay? I did kind of like what, what is a playoff profile. If you add up what Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame average, these are the four playoff teams in 2020. They averaged 41.8 points per game, 6.8 yards per play, and 502 yards of total offense. Miami last season under Rhett Lashley averaged 34 points, six yards of play, and 439 yards of total offense. So With a touchdown and another 70 yards. In the, two receivers <laughs> who are basically in the witness protection program. Right. And an offensive line that was still up and down. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I'll say about that offensive line, and, and I broke this down in my story, they weren't as responsible for the number of sacks that was given up, and they gave up 30 as a team. I think they were only credited with 11 by Pro Football mm-hmm. Focus in terms of who deserved the blame on the offensive line. The rest were, you know, De'Ara King holding on to the ball too long or tight ends or running backs missing their assignment. So in terms of, you know, the number of sacks given up, they gave up 2.73 sacks per game. Um, well, not, not necessarily just running, not necessarily tight ends, uh, the running backs on pass pro, uh, kind of in a couple of situations helped too. Um, but look, to be honest with you, um, it was a big improvement over the year before and I expect to be pristine this year. They should definitely be improved. The offense and sort of the challenges that I think Miami has to, uh, not challenges, but the levels that Miami has to reach uh, here in in the years ahead to really contend. And this is just research based off of the last three years. Okay. I looked up basically the four teams that reached the college football playoff, um, you know, in, in the last three years and only two of them, both Notre Dame teams, averaged fewer than 41 points and 500 yards of offense per game. I mean, it's pretty, it, it pretty much tells you the direction of college football that if you, if you want to be in contention, you got to score a bunch of points and you got to rack up a bunch of yards. And Kelvin, I know you, you sort of touched on it before, you know, the receiver position, getting more consistency there. Carlos mentioned the offensive line. I guess my question for both of you, when you look at this roster right now, as is what they were able to bring in, um, who they've got returning. I mean, ESPN says Miami's got the most offensive production coming back of any team in the country among all the FBS teams, uh, 95%. Obviously, Brevin Jordan's the one piece that is gone off of last year's roster. When you look at this roster right now in 2021, can Miami make the leap from averaging 34 points a game and yes. roughly 440 yards to, to being at that elite level where that you can be a contender? Yes. Why? Yeah, I think – I think it's dependent on, like I was saying before, the offensive line improved, but they got to make another jump. Because at the end of the day, you've got to be able to run the ball outside of De'Ara King himself doing it all. You've got to be able to spread the the responsibility and the load on offense to other players. And to be able to convert on third down and to be able to score in the red zone, you've got to be able to get consistent push up front to score and run the ball. It's not, it's a passing game now, both in the NFL and, the NFL and college, but at the end of the day, you've got to still be able to run the ball to win. And on top of that, they got to protect the Eric King, especially coming off an injury. He's got to be able to have time in that pocket to make the right decisions and get the ball out to the playmakers because it all starts up there. It's not the offensive line will be fine. It, it all depends on Charleston, Rambo, Keyshawn. The whole the entire running game is based on those two guys. You're talking about stretching and, the field and keeping keeping guys out of the box. Yeah, yeah. We gotta understand something. What happened last year was Clemson gave a blueprint and everybody else used it. 
they showed that they could play press coverage. We didn't have anybody that could win 50-50 balls or get separation. So they, they plugged the A-gaps because people who really understand what Rhett Lashley does understands that the running game is important. So you're going up against numbers that don't add up. So in order to get out of that, you got to have a guy that can scare the shit out of defenses like say, oh, I don't know, Jalen Waddle. Now, this year, Alabama is not going to have either Jalen Waddle or, K- or uh, Devonta Smith. They're going to have uh, Michi, who's a good receiver. But there's no defensive coordinator who's peeing on himself the night before the game. He can't sleep because of John Michi. So there'll be people who will plug the gap against Alabama like they did against us because Alabama's offensive line lets you know. They're going to try and bloody your nose. So what's happening is if Keyshawn Smith or Charleston Rambo or uh, uh, what's his name, Peyton, if any of those guys show anything in spring and force people to play two deep safeties on top of having Jalen Knight and catching the ball out of the backfield, um, we'll be just fine. Matter of fact, we'll be almost unstoppable. Well, it is a big leap, though, to go, you know, and, and they made a big leap last year. Look, they went they went from, you know, averaging whatever it was, 20, almost 26 points a game to 34. That's an, that's a drastic improvement. They went up, uh, and I detailed all this stuff in my article at The Athletic, but essentially, you know, they, they averaged, they went from 3.8 yards a carry to 4.2. Um, you know, the completion percentage went up from 58% to almost 63 I mean, there are a lot of improvements where you look at, you know, how do you, how do you sort of progress to that elite level? I still think though it's a it's a rather large jump. I mean, man, what do you what do you got playing back there, Kevin? You DJing back there now? Hey, that was a I'm, I'm trying to give I'm trying to give you some spice. <laughs> well, look, this is this is just comparing to the champs. Okay, what did Alabama do last year? And it was one of the greatest offenses of all time in college football. Well, well, hold on. Let's look at what Alabama. LSU and Clemson have had over the last three years. We can do that. I got all the info for you. You want me to tell you? Well, no, no. I don't want to talk about the stats. I want to talk about the lineup. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing Alabama two years ago before Tua got hurt. Mm -hmm. They have Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, and uh, Najee Harris is in the backfield. Well, you know they're going to run the football, but you can't put seven in the box because you got to guard Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and uh, Devonta Smith. Do you know how hard that is? I know it's difficult. Listen, oh, wait. I guess my point the, is, my, my overriding question is, does Miami have that level of talent? I, I don't know that they're there yet. They don't necessarily. Listen, no one in the history of the game other than us in 91 and Florida state the year they won with Peter Workman had a receiving crew, like the last two, three champions LSU two years ago. Incredible. Um, Alabama incredible. If you look at it, each, most teams have one go-to receiver. These teams had four, (laughs) three, four. Well, guys that were drafted and, and, and are doing something in the NFL now. 
No, Justin there's no doubt. Jefferson, Justin Jefferson was the third best receiver on LSU two years ago. Mm-hmm. Think about what I'm saying. The third best receiver. Well, I guess I guess what I'm saying, and 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 in my research of my story is, and you're and you're sort of backing it up by saying the level of talent that they have. You know, that's the question we're trying to answer is like, how far away is Miami from really contending? And and where can you sort of rank the improvement that Lashley has made well, with his offense? Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. Look, when Rick Lashley took the job, he looked at six and eight and thought, oh, OK. But six and eight, and that's why they're called six and eight, were in the witness protection program, which is why you'll probably see them being moved out. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike Harley stepped up. Mike Harley's going to be one of the better receivers in the ACC, if not the country. So what we need now is we need one more guy to step up and bring some some uh, explosiveness and some consistency. Yeah, some downfield threat. So if that's Charleston Rambo or Keyshawn Smith, we're good because we have a tight end. We got running backs. We got an old line. We just got to get one of those guys out of the box. You can't have seven guys in the box, eight guys in the box. You got to make people play with two deep safeties. So if Charleston Rambo can can be that other guy along with Mike Harley, you're going to see a big difference in the run game because now teams have to be perfect in their run fits because if they overrun it, there's not an extra man to make up for the mistake. No. And that's the beautiful thing about what Alabama's been able to do the last two years. Najee Harris is even more dangerous because you got to be perfect. You got a big old dude that you're trying to wrestle with who's a bear. You got a running back that's coming down here with lineman legs and track speed. And you got one less guy in the box just in case you make a mistake. On top of that, your safeties are terrified to come up because they got two gazelles in the slot. It's it's it's, it's like you know, and well, I think Rhett Lassie doing, tried. Rhett Lassie tried to throw the ball downfield last year, and he tried to stretch the field. According to Pro Football Focus, no quarterback in the ACC attempted more deep throws of twenty yards or more in twenty twenty than De'Ara King. He had sixty eight throws down the field. The problem was the receivers. Uh, they just didn't catch. They didn't hook up. They only completed. Okay, this is the adjusted completion percentage, thirty-three point eight percent. That's including drops. So they basically said, if we're going to throw out the drops. He connected on on only thirty-three point eight percent. That ranks seventeenth in the conference out of twenty-two quarterbacks. So he's thrown it the deep the most, and yet converted fifth worst. You know, in terms of actually completing the passes. So uh, some of that had to do with Derek and and mm-hmm. Rhett Lashley yeah. talked about it, and Derek talked about it that he's got to improve. Mm-hmm some of those throws, but I think a lot of it too has to do with those receivers running the right routes, being where they're supposed to be and then hanging on to the football. And, and Mark Pope, um, you know, he that? had, he had, I think it was three drops on deep balls last year. He only caught four of the 17 deep balls thrown his way. D Wiggins only caught five of the 17 Who's deep that? balls thrown his way. Who, who are those guys you talk about? <laughs> Your favorites. Now look, Charleston Rambo. Okay. He, he had success. He, his numbers were not good last year. He was targeted 13 times on deep balls in 2020. He only caught three of them. Okay. He also had three drops. So he had a little bit of Mark Pope in him, but he was better when Jalen Hurts was his quarterback the year before in 2019. Right. 
He caught yes. eight of the 14 deep balls thrown his way for 326 yards. So, you know, you got to have you got to have those guys on the outside if you want to be able to run the football. And oh, by the way, Miami's 4.2 yards per carry. How did that compare to the playoff teams? I'm going to give you what they average. Ohio State averaged almost six yards a carry, 5.96 a carry. Alabama, five yards a carry. And Notre Dame, five yards a carry. Clemson was the only one who averaged below five, and they were 4.5. So you talk about what kind of numbers do you need to hit to to become that elite level. You talk about stretching the field. Those are some of the numbers, if you're a fan, that you should have in mind. Like, okay, this is what those teams did. This is what Miami has to aspire to. You got to look at 40-plus a game, 500-plus yards, and five yards a carry. Basically. And a completion percentage, by the way, this is scary. The completion percentage number seventy. Uh, Alabama completed 76% of its passes. That was number one in the country. Ohio State was fifth. They completed 70%. Clemson, 19th. They were 66, 67, 66 and a half. And then Notre Dame, 60, uh, close to 64%. Miami was at, at near 63, which was 43rd nationally. But it just, it's just, it's execution. It's hitting at a high percentage on all those things red zone touch you know red zone touchdown percentage third down percentage conversion percentage Miami well, made improvements there, in those categories there's some there's something else just that's different between those three teams and Miami all of those teams have been in that offense for at least five years well, yeah, Ryan Day with Ohio State. He's been there with Urban for for a long time, and then took that him. offense, the, the offense didn't change. Terminology didn't change. Right, and then Bama with Saban. Obviously, they've become much more of an explosive offense than they were when they were winning championships with defense and a power running game. Um, but yeah, they but have the terminology's been over a few years before he took the, the Texas. Trip. Yeah, yeah, but you're missing the point. The terminology, mm-hmm. the offense never changed. Ryan Day came in. The offense didn't change. The terminology. Maybe the way they attack change. And see, that's an also important thing. We're going into our second year in this offense. It's going to be a big difference. Yeah, I mean, it, we may even see a big difference. SMU, by the way. Lashley, by the way, averaged 41 points and close to 500 yards a game his second season at SMU. Yeah, it's very difficult to come in. I mean, we did it in 89. We came in and, you know, Coach Erickson completely flipped the uh, – the, the offensive terminology and the actual uh, attack, and we won a national championship. But it rarely happens. Matter of fact, I think that might be the only time it's ever happened. So we're in year two, and um, you're going to see a big difference. Yeah, and I think one of the big the big factors that helps having that offense there for the second year in a row is now after a season, you've seen pretty much every look you're going to get against all your, your, your sets, against all your plays. You've got tape that you can actually go back to and say, okay, here's where we were weakest. Here was where we messed up with your actual offense. It's not theoretical. You're seeing yourself on film and seeing what mm-hmm. you guys are trying to execute, and that makes a big difference. And now it becomes second nature. And I think, you know, based on what Travaris Robinson, the, this, the new secondary coach, was saying, it seems like the coaches are doing a lot of that sort of self-scouting, self-evaluation um, the coaches at Miami, you know, new guys, old guys, um, that's what they do during the off season. You know, they start to look at, well, where did we screw up? How can we make it better? And I assume that's the same thing the offensive guys are doing, you know, obviously oh, yeah. the, the defensive guys are coming in sort of fresh faced uh, and obviously oh. Manny's still there, but you know, uh, they're, they're, some of the new guys are coming in a little fresh faced 
and they're doing review and, and the offensive guys have to be doing the same thing. And, and, you know, you talk about the running game, uh, Carlos, Cam Harris, really explosive start to last season, faded, lost the starting job in yep. two game to Jalen Knighton. That's going to be an interesting position. Um, you know, we Jalen Knighton, I think Manny said he was hopeful he would be back for the spring. We'll see, you know, when guys are coming off shoulder injury and so forth, sometimes you try not to, to rush a guy back to make sure he's 100% healthy, but he's a guy who could use more work. Jalen Knighton could certainly use more work in the, in the pass protection game. I think Don Chaney as well, you know, that to be complete backs, you got to be able to, to pass protect. And, and I talked about it already. Some of the sacks that were given up were, were by running backs and, and tight ends and not just the offensive line. So um, it's going to be, you know, Lashley, game. Lashley did a good job getting explosive plays out of the running backs in the passing game too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Bill Don Chaney also in other games. So it's there, they can be used both in the run game and the passing game to get those explosive plays along with Will well, Mallory. I think Will Mallory is going to be a big part of the season. Now he's finally tight end one the whole year. He's got to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, on top of that, Jalen Knight kind of reminds me of Alvin Kamara. I think we'll get a chance to see him being used a little bit more like that. It'll be interesting. Gentlemen, uh, I want to thank you both for joining me. Uh, a couple of things to finish the show on. Uh, one, congratulations to the UM baseball team for finally beating Florida in a series, right? Well, thank you God. Didn't believe, you didn't believe it. <laughs> they finally won a series for the first time since 2014. Oh, by the way, I think it helped that Florida, I think, walked them 28 times in the series. Listen, man, Miami you have only, to pee uh, on the parade all the time. Why and Miami only walked uh, their their guys 11 times. But that's the way you win baseball games now, man. On base percentage, you, you listen to all the uh, – I covered baseball, the Marlins for seven years. OBP, man, on base percentage, that's, a, that's an important stat in winning. To me, the better stat is OPP. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, final thoughts from you guys as as uh, we look forward here to the start of spring football, March thirteenth. Um, what are you uh, What are you looking forward to most here before uh, before camp starts? Um, the passing game. Yeah, I want to see I want to see what happens with these receivers in the spring, and I want to see what what uh, what Garcia and TVD look like. Yeah, hopefully we get a chance to see them. I don't know that we'll have a uh, open spring game or anything. We're just gonna have to. Depend on Manny Diaz's reports, right? The, the little videos that they post on YouTube of him talking about what happened after scrimmages and, and whatnot. I'm well, I, I heard, I heard they're ban- reporting. I heard they're banning you from Green Tree. Yeah, I'm sure they are. We need we need Kelvin to sneak onto the field and just record it with his cell phone and put it on Zoom so we can watch <laughs> what's going on. We we may only see the top of their heads because that's all we see of Kelvin whenever he's we see his, his roof ninety percent of the time when we're on right, Zoom. right. Hey, that's all you need to see, damn it. <laughs> Guys, it was good catching up with both of you and uh, look forward uh, to catching up uh, as the spring progresses here a little bit more, uh, coming on to talk some more Kings football. Thank you very much. 305-956-8. Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at the Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every Finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to the Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts.